Liel Leibovitz is on hold. I just want to give this the proper introduction. His piece, The Turn, for uh, Tablet, tabletmag.com, is profound. It is honest. It is something that I think everybody needs to read. And I, look, I, 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 look, if you listen to this program, you know that if I'm awake, I'm probably researching and I use a lot of quotes and stats and sometimes I ping off of op-ed pieces. This is more than that. This is a man laying out and even displaying a bit of pain and agony. The feelings of feeling that the people that you believed deeply in, in this case on the left, have in a way let you down. And I, I reached out to Mr. Leibovitz. I said, I said, I, I got I to have you on the program. And this, what many people, I think, who, and we say reasonable people can disagree. This is not the Steve Schmitz who are shaking their fist at the Republican Party. As if, the, as if it's not standard fare for Republicans to talk about cutting taxes or rolling back regulations or this sort of things. What's happening on the Republican side for many of these people is that the grifters have been exposed. And the people who thought that they had high position or they had the, the, seat, the, the, the best seat in the House found that a guy came from the outside, didn't bring them on as consultants, didn't hire them, didn't give them any, any, you know, any position in the campaign or the administration. They're angry that somebody came from the outside and upset the time they spent climbing the ladder. This piece, The Turn, is so much, there's so much depth. To, let, me just, let me just bring on uh, Liel Leibovitz. How you doing, sir? It's, it's a pleasure to, have, to be able to talk to you about this piece. I think it's, it's, it's amazing. It's my honor, sir. Thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, I'm going to go long form here. This is not going to be a whiz-bang, uh, three, four questions, and off you go. We might have to go two seconds because you have packed so much in here. So starting with the the beginning of the piece, um, I, I think your first stab at, 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 some, uh, at some of this is, is Joseph Stalin. But you, you followed a path into the, the left-leaning... Um, intellectual space of academia. Am I correct? Absolutely. It's it's actually kind of even more than that. You know, I, I grew up listening to John Lennon, giving peace a chance. I didn't even think that anything but the left was a possibility. To me, when you said the right, it was just a bunch of kind of heartless creeps that cared about money and their own self-interest. I, I never even stopped to give it to give it a shot. It was so evident that all good right people are on the left. One thing that I, and I, I have to jump in with this, and I, I really gave this interview a, a lot of, of time and preparation. The one thing I think that we fail at when we talk about right and left is we've, we've unfortunately imported a European model. And I said this to you in one of our text messages, that when you look at the, the National Socialist German Workers' Party and the Communist Party, 
if you want to say the Communist Party was not genocidal and therefore better than the National Socialist Workers German Workers' Party, then uh, then obviously yes, the the non the non genocidal party would be the better of the two. But their prescription for governance as to who would control transportation, who would control education, who would control uh, industry, and and all these other things were were very similar. There was also a demand of the common person to submit to the will of the authority. There, there's no libertarian thinking in that model. So when they say, you know, constitutional conservative, libertarian, you know, that sort of thing, these people that call themselves liberal have shown themselves on the, on the base word liberty to be very illiberal on, on many aspects. We keep saying everyone we don't like, you know, when they, when the pejorative as well, you know, I'm a Democrat and they're all Nazis. Well, then you don't know what the Nazis, you don't know what a Nazi is. If you say securing the border makes you a Nazi, you really don't understand your history. But we have a failed model, I think, in a lot of our intellectual conversations. I agree with you completely. I I think the thing that the European system uh, sort of fails to understand that the American promise uh, does grasp, which is what makes this a, a truly exceptional country in every sense of this word, is that we understand that, as I say in the piece, the greatest source of renewable energy is liberty, and that any political system that we must fashion has to aspire and allow for the greatest amount of individual freedom. And once you start chipping away at that, there's got to be problems. And I learned this very much the hard personal way. I want, I'm, I'm going to read some some quotes from the piece, um, and you just pointed out that you know that that you were you were of the mind that these other people out there many of whom didn't reside in places like the upper west side of Manhattan or somewhere on uh, Washington Square Park you wrote this belief carried me through high school and a brief stint in a socialist youth movement it accelerated me in college sending me anywhere from joint marches with Palestinians to a two week hunger strike in Jerusalem trying and failing to lower tuition for underprivileged students it pulled me to New York to Columbia University to more left wing politics and activism and raging against Republicans whose agenda especially in the 2000s seemed like nothing more than greed and war and it wasn't just an ideology some abstract set of convictions that were accessible only through cracking open dusty old books. It was the animating spirit of life itself. The dinner parties I attended on the Upper West Side required dismissive comments of President Bush just as much as they did a bit of wine to make the evening bright. And there was no faster or surer way to signal to a new acquaintance that you were a kindred spirit than praising the latest Times editorial. It wasn't performative exactly, at least it felt real enough. The reverent rights of a good group of people protecting itself against the bad guys. Um, let's talk about that. You know, Galile- <laughs> Galileo was considered a, a heretic for not for not believing that the the sun revolved around the earth. These people think it's heresy to believe that the intellectual world doesn't revolve around Manhattan. Oh, a hundred percent. And look, when, when you're here, when you're in the circles, and when you get all these benefits. It's really hard to understand that because you think to yourself, you have some illusion that all this talk of meritocracy is true and that you've arrived on your own right and that your elevation has, has nothing to do with the fact that you're just parroting a ready-made ideology, but it's because you're actually very smart and you worked very hard and you made the American dream come true. And then you, made, and then you make the mistake of saying one thing that deviates from the dogma. And, and it, it, 
the thing that struck me the most is that the things that I started saying seem to me completely unproblematic, like, hey, science shows us there's only two genders, or hey, I believe in everyone's right to say whatever they want, even if I personally find their opinions very offensive. And all of a sudden, people started stepping back, looking at me like I was a little bit problematic. And it wasn't just people who were in my general milieu. It was, it was dear friends. It was people you know, who've had me over to their homes who've come to mind. Uh, and that was very, very hurtful, but at the same time, incredibly instructive. And that, do you think, look, I, 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 don't think, I don't think it's a left veer to the so-called right in that European model. I think it's from American misuse of the word liberal to more libertarian, right? That I, I believe in free speech to, to the point, like you said, that, that accepting free speech means accepting that not all speech is going to be popular and that when I think of, when I think of the people you're describing and there's I could I could sense a lot of pain in what you write in this piece that you honestly believe that a lot of the people that were your contemporaries and your peers had arrived at their belief through the through the struggle of debate and reason and argument 100%. and a scientific method. And they were here because they went through all of these things. They didn't just walk into a dinner party and say, huh, you know, Bush, what a fool. And I, I, I totally understand. I totally understand your, your sense there that you felt that these are intellectuals. They are academics. They are learned people. They didn't just wake up and feel this stuff. This had to be the result of, of a, a, a life struggle to come to conclusions, and you feel like at some point maybe it wasn't. That is exactly how I felt, uh, and then it started being even more grating because they still waved around these labels, and I stopped, around, I, I stopped for a second and said, hey, you don't get to say that you're for the people when you believe in all kinds of policies that actually take people's ability to earn a living if they don't succumb to whatever policy you think is correct. You don't get to say you're for, you know, economic justice when you uh, work for and believe in the companies that kick, you know, millions of Americans out of a job. You don't get to say you're for free speech when you spend all your time saying that people on the right ought to be silent. It was just so kind of blatant and ugly uh, and and couched in this in this in this kind of veil of virtue that, as you said, I always believed is real and still believe is real. And you could call it liberalism or you could call it freedom, uh, but it is the animating force of, of American life to me. Well, you know what it is, though. It's it's if you are steadfast in your beliefs, you are unafraid to debate them, right? You you yep. and 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 it, you are you are you welcome it. Right. It's part of the intellectual challenge that if you have staked a claim, you want to debate that claim. You want it to be stronger and you don't want it in that that um, that peer review way. Well, I have a paper I want reviewed positively, so I'm just going right. to review your paper positively. I might not even read it that that this, this and I, I understand what you, I thought that as well. That that yeah. this would that if I ever injected myself into a room full of people that I assumed disagreed with me, that I'd be I'd be the welcome I would be the welcome conversation starter in that okay now now I'm here and uh, these people want to discuss these things right they're intellectuals that's, they that's they why I went they to academia. 
They, they believe in this vibrancy, and, and, and if they win, they, they won the argument because they presented a set of facts that led to conclusions, and this is what smart people are supposed to do in that intellectual space. And then you find there's this sort of primitive rejection of covering your ears, your eyes, and your mouth. Uh, don't, don't say these things. They're icky. Well, if, if, if you're so smart and these things are so simply simply denied or overturned, then show us, speak to them. Don't, don't say, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't listen to this stuff. I mean, and, and, and don't construct, it's not only that, by the way, you put it so beautifully. This is exactly how I imagined my life would be. Uh, and this is why I chose this career in, in, in academia. And in my mind, when I was getting my PhD at Columbia uh, and later teaching at NYU, I thought life would be exactly that walking into a room full of smart people, batting around ideas, having arguments into the night, agreeing to disagree, disagreeing and agreeing again, like this kind of vibrant intellectual give and take. Uh, but then I found that it wasn't just that, that they kind of shut their ears and, and their eyes at this, but they actually set up severe uh, and, and pretty sophisticated mechanisms to punt, to, first of all, to create these echo chambers that we see uh, so sadly on especially social media, but also in, in the press uh, and certainly in academia, but then to punish everyone who disagreed to make sure that you don't get invited uh, to, to the right committee, to make sure that you don't get the promotions that you seek, that you don't get published, that you don't get hurt. Your kids uh, don't get on the list the for that. For that you don't, your kids don't get on that list for that exclusive kindergarten program. Yep. No dinner party invitations anymore. You know, oh, that, uh, that nice party where that famous person uh, was. Uh, oh, you don't get to come to that anymore. And it was just, you know, it's not, not even in junior high are people so kind of petty and cliquish. It's, it's really, uh, it's, it's undignified, truly, is what it is. I mean, even, even if you didn't have a problem with it ideologically, just kind of emotionally, it's just yucky. Let me let me read the part that's so profound, and this is something I read on the air yesterday with passion. Speaking up to all of this, you write, and then came the turn. If you've lived through it yourself, you know what the turn, you know that the turn doesn't happen overnight, that it isn't easily distilled into one dramatic breakdown moment, that it happens hazily over time. First a twitch, then a few more, stretching into a gnawing discomfort and then eventually a sense of panic. You may be among the increasing number of people going through the turn right now. I got to say, that's one of the most ominous things I've ever heard. Having lived through the turmoil of the last half decade through the years of MAGA and Antifa and rampant identity politics and the most dramatically, most dramatically the global turmoil caused by COVID-19, more, more, more of us feel absolutely and irreparably politically homeless. Instinctively, we look to the Democratic Party, the only home we and our parents and their parents before them had ever known or seriously considered. But what we saw there in the newspapers we used to read and in the schools whose admission letters once made us so proud was terrifying. However, we tried to explain what was happening on the left, in quotes. It was hard to convince ourselves that it was right or that it was something we still truly believe in. That is what the turn is all about. That is, and you continue on this, where you point out that as you're experiencing the turn, and, and one of the things you, you're in here when you say that maybe burning down towns and looting stores isn't the best way to promote social justice, that you may be called a white supremacist, that any disagreement is prosecuted with the most extreme accusations. 
absolutely. Uh, and 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 when you and when you notice this, uh, you you all of a sudden feel really you know it's it's almost a physical feeling i mean this is why i use all these all these terms uh in, in the piece like tinge and pull and twitch it's like it's almost like feeling vertigo it's all of a sudden everything that you thought was was the upside uh, is down and everything that's right side is left and and you feel kind of like you're free falling through space and you ask yourself well where do i go right now what do i do because again the entirety of life up until this point was about following this path that you believed was just some question about oh you will go to these universities oh you will attend these parties oh you will befriend these people and when all that gets taken away from you and it is you know the turn is not so much the turn of of us away from 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 the state of being but it's also the turn of a lot of friends and colleagues and loved ones away from us because all of a sudden we don't recite the correct dogmas. When that happens, and this is the reason I wrote the piece, the most important thing to remember uh, is this. Don't, don't get desperate. Don't feel the need to, to go from kind of one grim uh, extreme to the other. Uh, don't give up hope. Remember that we are free. <laughs> Liberty is so incredible, and it's so precious, and it's so much greater than, than, than even these kind of you know depressing, uh, despairing forces. If you just remember that, and you remember that, in my estimation, 85% of Americans are, are with us in this, in this passion for debate of ideas, in this openness to, to hearing different voices, in this desire to create a, a political system that's free. If you remember this, I think this cause for great optimism. Do you have time for? I want to take this to a second segment. I I'm at my commercial break here, and look, I I, I could I could probably end it here, and we we would have satisfied and checked most of the boxes. But really, there's more to your piece, and there's more I want to discuss with you. Do you have time for another segment? With absolute pleasure, of course. All right, all right, we're gonna go long then. This is this is too good to stop here. Um, so we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna continue this into the the next break. <laughs> Listening to the Willcow Majority with Andrew Willcow. He's all talk. I don't do this very often. We don't usually go to segments. I, I worry about attention spans. I worry about, uh, you know, uh, repeating myself. But this piece in tabletmag.com by Liel Leibovitz, The Turn, is so profound and so sober and so deep and an unnecessary read. Um, and he's he's continuing on with us. Real quick before I get back to the piece, this is the one thing that drives drives me insane. As I guess I would be considered a conservative, they would wouldn't call me an intellectual conservative, but as a conservative who likes to debate ideas, that when you demonize your opposition or or dehumanize your opposition, not on a disagreement of ends but on a disagreement of means. So, for example, if we're standing around talking about how to improve education in low-income, predominantly minority neighborhoods, and one side says, well, that's why we need to, you know, fund ever more, you know, add to funding for, for public education or government education, and somebody says, well, maybe if we introduce charter schools in competition, oh, my God, see, you're just a racist who doesn't care about these kids. And I've been told that. I've been told that I'm a racist who doesn't care about these kids when I say, well, maybe if the government is not doing such a great job at them the ladder of opportunity to, to rise up out of what you claim is this awful existence, we're agreeing on the ends, right? We've agreed that there's an there's an agreement ends 
the reasonable people should be able to disagree on the means. But instead of saying, well, I just disagree with your, your means to an end, it's you're a terrible person. It's so amazing to me. You know, I send my kids to a, a private religious Jewish day school. And when we have these conversations, I, I hear uh, exactly the same things. Oh, you're a racist or sometimes a white supremacist because you don't support, you know, our exact solution. I say, right, I am a racist, white supremacist, because I want poor black parents to have exactly the same privilege I have to choose where to educate their children. Are you even listening to what you're saying? But it's this use of labels that, that is that is so destructive because that's that's the weapon that they have and when you have control of the media and when you have control of academia you could apply these labels liberally or illiberally as it were i want to i want to go back to the piece here and again i want everyone to read this and and then um i gotta ask have you ever read charles percy snow's the two cultures yes Okay, well, go, good, because we're going to talk about that. That is, that I have said to anyone that will listen, that is a window, uh, it opened a, a door and a window in my thinking, like, I mean, look, you, I have, you know, the road to, there are the classics, the road to serfdom, the, you know, uh, wealth of nations, economics in one lesson, on, on the novel front, and, you know, we've all read Ayn Rand, but I think, I, I think from the academic world and the intellectual world, not so much economics, Charles Percy Snow is a very underrated intellectual. You, you write, we all want to be embraced. We all want the men and women we consider most swell to approve of us and confirm that we too are good and great. We all want the love and the laurels. The turn takes both away. But having been there before, I have one important thing to tell you. If the left is going to make it, quote, right wing, to simply be decent, then it's okay to be right. Why? Because after 225 long and fruitful years of this terminology, right and left are now empty categories, meaning little more than the blue team and the green team in your summer camp's color war. You don't get to be against the rich if the richest people in the country fund your party in order to preserve their government-sponsored monopolies. You are not a supporter of free speech if you oppose free speech or people would disagree with you. You are not for the people if you pit most of them against each other based on the color of their skin or force them out of their jobs because of personal choices related to their bodies. You are not serious about economic inequality when you happily order from Amazon without caring much for the devastating impact your purchases have on small businesses that increasingly are either subjugated by Jeff Bezos' behemoth or crushed by it altogether. You are not for science if you refuse to consider the hypotheses that don't conform to your political convictions and try to ban critical thought and inquiry from the internet. You are not an anti-racist if you label and sort people by race. You are not against conformism when you scare people out of voicing dissenting opinions. Let me go to that real quick. Um, the one thing I've never understood of, uh, about the Airfingers quote left, the, the intellectual left, that is, is they promote critical thinking. They claim to be independent of thought, but at the same time, especially when dealing with non-white colleagues that well if you are in any one of these categories you owe it to be in the box that they've created and then when they confront someone who may be black and conservative or jewish and conservative or a log cabin republican they are horrified by these people and then take the next step of claiming they're not they've lost their jewish card or they've lost their black card or they've lost their immigrant card you can't say you believe in the freedom the independent mind and then say anyone who disagree with me is kicked out 
Yeah, you know, and and this I I, I speak kind of softly and coyly here because it took me much longer, arguably, than it should have. I assume there are some listeners right now listening to, to our conversation saying, you know, what, what took this putz so long? Uh, but it took me so long to realize that it was actually truly often, uh, not always, but almost always, simply about power. Uh, it's about uh, erecting and preserving these systems of power, uh, political power, cultural power, true hegemony uh, in order to shape every aspect of your life, which, you know, uh, if you don't believe in, in tradition and religion, uh, if you have your doubts about the nuclear family, if you're very uh, suspicious of the nation state, then naturally you're going to seek some other sort of authority. And naturally this notion of having all the power over everything and everyone is going to be a really important thing for you. And it's very important to make sure that everyone in the group behaves and thinks and speaks exactly in the same way. And if someone doesn't, well, that, that someone has to be excluded in some way. When you said earlier about speaking of, of the uh, participation in a dinner party and, and one of the, the signifiers, one of the, the, the signals you had to, to put up to be accepted was the recitation or citation of a, of a New York times op-ed piece. What I don't understand is how the left is approaching the media right now. I, I have a journalism degree, and I always thought that journalism was the who, the what, the when, the why, and the how. And the, all speculation, mostly the why, would be left to editorializing an op-ed. We have seen the media largely, um, and look, and I and I will say this, when I, I will include Fox News, but I think Fox News is more... Um, open that the nighttime lineup are opinion journalists where some of the other networks are tr still trying to maintain the sort of pro wrestling is real kind of mentality that what they're presenting to you is just the straight news that on the major narratives we've seen of Jussie Smollett we or 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 Kyle Rittenhouse or uh, Ahmad Arbery, we were told there was no way that a mostly white jury would convict these three men. The, the legal analysts had already called the trial before it ever began, and lo and behold, these three men have been found guilty of murder. They will be sentenced to crimes, uh, sentenced to jail. Jesse Smollett's story was so insane that immediately we saw people like Dave Chappelle coming out and saying, "This is this is crazy." You know, it's so crazy and yet he was he was feted on 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 major networks he was interviewed he was made into the victim and it so clearly and obviously now look everyone's innocent until proven it, that's another one if you even say in some of these cases i believe all people are innocent until proven guilty we've heard prominent media figures say well i saw it he's guilty but that, that well, that's not how justice works if you're in the media you have a responsibility to maintain a certain amount of ethics i'm not talking about legal standards but we now see that it is cool or hip on the left to jump to conclusions and then no matter how many times you're wrong to continue to jump to conclusions and still be wrong look i was thinking about this a lot the other day uh, i i went to columbia school of journalism you know widely considered to be one one of the finest uh the other day i read a blog post by one of my very, very, very prominent and beloved professors at that school that basically said it's time to ban, censor all right-wing uh, talk shows and podcasts because they peddle in misinformation, which in his definition was information that the government didn't approve, 
uh, and therefore it's dangerous. It was such a stark departure from everything that I understand journalism to be and everything I was taught at Columbia School of Journalism that it made me stop and think. But the conclusion I got to eventually after, you know, a bourbon or three is that I actually feel bad for that professor because if you're in an industry uh, that found itself completely taken over by these tech behemoths and you understand that the game now isn't the why, what, when, where, as you so you know aptly put it, but it's just generating traffic by creating these echo chambers by by doing away with all this you know nonsense about facts and objectivity and reporting and bothering you know to actually find out what happened and instead generating outrage. If you understand that's how you get paid now, well, of course you're going to say yes, let's ban all of them. It's a sad, sad moment, but that's especially why all of us who are still not inflamed with this way of thinking should insist on doing things the old-fashioned way and actually finding out facts and actually having vibrant exchanges of ideas. I've just, I just never understood when you look at a case, right, we hear an accusation and we say, you know, these are allegations, the person's innocent until proven guilty. Um, and then when they are, you say, okay, justice was done, right? In the case of the Ahmad Arbery uh, case, we, we all saw the video. We all saw the George Floyd video. And some of us that said, you know, the police officer, Derek Chauvin, is innocent until proven guilty. The evidence is, I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. It's over the top likely he's going to be found guilty. But there were accusations that if you didn't immediately skip the right to a fair and speedy trial, that you might as well have put your neck on Mr. knee on Mr. Floyd's neck. I, I thought that to be insane coming from legal analysts. I thought part of having a law degree and, and being you know, a, a contributor to a network was to bring a sober perspective to highly emotional uh, stories like this. And that, that if you say, well, wait a second, in our system, there still has to be a defense. There's still going to be a prosecution. We still have the right to fair, you know, fair and speedy trials. There's going to be a jury. People are now wanting this sort of mob justice that didn't work out for the very people they support in the past when we had those sort of things, which are terrible and awful. And of course, we should teach them, not through CRT, but we should teach them that They've now turned into everything. I, to, to get closer to the end of this, I feel like the people on the left have turned into everything they allegedly stood against. I, you know, it's, it's almost like a parlor game, and I say this with, with a smile, but, but it hurts me tremendously. Every since the turn uh, happened to me, right, every since I, I sort of uh, woke up to the reality of, of, of what was going on in the left, I play this little game, which is almost, I call it the game of projection, right? Every time I hear someone on the left accusing someone on the right of doing something, it's like, oh, it's probably because that's what you secretly believe. If you say, oh, you're a racist, that's because you on the left support an ideology that sees people not, judges people not based on the content of their character, but by the color of their skin. Everything that they apply every label with which they try to besmirch, you know, good dissenting Americans is one that applies to them. It's a very easy way to find out what's going on. Just look at what they're saying and then understand who they are. All right. So to wrap this up, I, I have two two more things I want to get with you. Uh, uh, Liel Leibovitz is joining us. His piece is, I'm, I'm telling you, this is something you must read. It is written from a, a perspective of honesty and even, I think, a little pain um, what is your life like now that you've 
you've expressed this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you've, you know, privately expressed this, but you've now put this out for people to read. Um, I'm sure colleagues, I'm sure friends, I'm sure parents of your kids' friends have read this. What does it mean? Are you get or, or are you getting people who are like, you know what? I feel the same way. It doesn't mean you're going to put on a MAGA hat and join me for a beer at, at CPAC in February, although I am fun at CPAC at happy hour. But it doesn't mean you're going to put on a MAGA hat and, and, and run off to CPAC. But it also means that maybe you think that the left needs a little reformation, uh, you know, what what is the reaction to what you've been feeling and saying in this piece? Is it support? Is it I'm not your friend anymore? Where Where is it? The, so, so the people who decided that they don't want to be my friend based on their dogma, you know, made that decision a long time ago. And, and they're simply not engaging with, with any honesty and openness with the idea. The thing that touched me so greatly is that I've been getting, since the piece ran yesterday, you know, I've been getting so much incredible, incredible, incredible mail from people, and, and you see, you know, according to, to the Twitter handle... I know a radio host that reached out to you. <laughs> and, and, and one great radio host that reached out to you. But, but you see these, these, you know, Twitter bios, like people who, you know, write down their pronouns, people who have the queer flag up, people who identify very openly, sort of like Democrats or socialists, or like people whose identity has been clearly defined by, by, by these values, by these virtues, saying... It feels like I wrote this myself. This is this is the monologue that's been playing inside my head. Thank you so much for expressing it. And this gives me tremendous, tremendous, tremendous hope because, again, I truly believe that this, this yearning for, for freedom, for free exchange of ideas, for accepting people for who they are, for, for not you know applying these horrible labels, for having a free and unfettered conversation, that to me is the essence of America. Uh, that's why I came here as an immigrant from Israel. That's why I believe this country is the greatest country in the history of mankind. And I think that's what's happening right now. I mean, the more people take the turn, the more America turns back to what it truly is. I, I'm going to have to uh, end here, and we'll have to pick up our discussion of Charles Percy Snow another day because I got Ben Johnson from the Daily Wire on hold to go through the uh, the infrastructure bill. Uh Liel, it's an incredible piece. I want everyone to read it. We will get you back on the program soon. I think we're going to be talking a lot more in the near future. With pleasure, sir. What an honor. All right. Thank, th- you, so thank much. you so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much for joining us. Let me take the break. When we come back, Ben Johnson from the Daily Wire is going to join us. We're going to talk about racist roads. Serious except Patriot. <laughs> 